0: turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. We're continuing our series, Hopes and Dreams, beginning of 2019. We're looking ahead to what this year holds. Uh, There's a, or there was a Scottish poet. uh, His name is Robbie Burns back in the 1700s. And it was uh, late fall, so they'd come through the summer, into the fall, so it was late fall just before the hard freeze of the year and Robbie was out in his, in his pasture and he was plowing the field, getting it ready for the, the, the frozen winter and then uh, obviously the spring that was to come. And as he was plowing through his field, now back in the 1700s, no tractors, things like this, so he was guaranteed behind an oxen or, or, or a horse or something. He was, he was plowing the field. The plow pulled the dirt uh, open, and there was a mouse nest, uh, a mouse nest. So he's going through this, his field, and all of a sudden this, this plow opens up this mouse nest, and mice go running, and he stops his brother years later said that, uh, guaranteed, Robbie penned this poem out there in the field. It just struck him so, uh, it, just, it was like one of those moments that he just felt like uh, he had to write this down. So he penned a poem called, To a Mouse. And really what it was, was this apology to a mouse. He was apologizing to this mouse for ruining all of the summer and and fall work that this mouse had done, gathering and hunting and scavenging and, and putting together this house for the winter. And in one moment, Robbie had destroyed everything that this mouse had worked for. Some of you uh, know this has a number of stanzas to the poem. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but there's one stanza in particular that I want us to look at, and it's going to be up on the screen. And this is what Robbie Burns wrote back in 1700s. He said, But mouse, you are not alone in proving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men go often askew and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. Any of you ever had a well-laid plan? Any of you ever had a thoughtful attempt at something that you were aiming at? Any of you put a plan, devised a plan, gone through the pros and cons, the best way to accomplish it and, and went at it only for it to end up in ruin? Or am I the only one? The best laid plans of mice and men often go askew. It it often ends in ruin. No matter how much time, energy, effort, planning we put into things, things don't always go according to plan. Well, in the book of Ruth, we see this happening as well. Here we have Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, And it's really the start of this book is the story of Naomi. And that's what I want us to look at today. Look at chapter one, verse one. And we're going to be reading quite a bit of of Ruth one today. So follow along either up on the screen or in in your Bibles. It says in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And Ephraim is an an ancient name. It's an ancient title uh, for Bethlehem. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. And I just want to pause there for a second and put some some notes on those names. Uh, Bethlehem, Ephraim. Uh, is, it means uh, plentiful. It means a land of plenty, uh, abundance. So this is Bethlehem. This is where they were living, a place of abundance, a place of plenty. Naomi, her name means uh, blessed. It, it, It means my delight, my joy, or my pleasant one. Think of the last time you had a smile on your face or happy. That, that's, that's really what Naomi's name meant. Joy, happiness, pleasant one. So read on verse 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. They weren't Jews, they were Moabites. It says one married a woman named Orpah, the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died and left Naomi alone with her two, uh, with her two sons of her husband. Uh, uh, without her, sorry, her two sons or her husband. Have you ever had an expect, unexpected turn in your life? Have you ever had one of those things where things don't quite go as planned? Here was Naomi. Naomi. Uh, in a place of abundance, in a place of plenty, living the American dream. Uh, husband, two sons, uh, middle-class neighborhood. Um, probably, uh, you know, a four-wheel-drive SUV out in the in parking lot. Um, would take dogs for a walk in the in the neighborhood. Um, the kids playing select uh, baseball, and um, you know, maybe she was even doing Thursday morning yoga or something like that. You know, this is the American dream. Just kind of going at life the way life is meant to be. And then all of a sudden, something happened. Something took place. Outside of her uh, control, there's a famine, it says, came upon the land. And they're forced, by virtue of that famine, to move away from this place of bounty, a place, away from this place of plenty to Moab, a foreign land, a foreign place. They're forced to leave. Her sons marry Moabite women, which uh, just on a side note was a violation of Mosaic law. And things start to unravel. We're told her husband dies. We're, ho- we're-, we're told that, that, that her sons die. And ultimately, when all the dust settles, she is left there on her own with her two daughters-in-law. It got me thinking this week that many times our lives look just like this. And kind of a side note of this is how do we as the body of Christ deal with one another when things like this come into our lives and happen? One commentator was talking about it's not written in Scripture, but just how she would have been ridiculed or or even condemned for being in a position like this. Here she was a a a Jewish woman with with two non-Jew daughters-in-law and her husband has died and her two sons have died and many in the community guaranteed would point their finger and say, It is because of your bad choices that you ended up in a position like this. How many of you in a predicament or in a bad setting in your life have had people Point the finger and say, had you done something different or had you lived differently, this wouldn't have happened to you. Well, can I tell you, it's a lie from the pit. It is. You see, condemnation brings isolation. Condemnation breeds isolation. Isolation. And this is what the, the accusations were. It was, you're good for nothing. You made these decisions to see the, the catastrophe that's happened in your life. Well, you deserve it. And that does nothing to promote the heart of God. And in fact, conviction is different than condemnation. Conviction brings community. Condemnation brings isolation. It's something to think about. How often do we point the finger and say, if you'd only lived differently, these things wouldn't come your way? How many times have you hit a rough spot in your life and you scanned your life? What have I done wrong? What have I done to deserve this? Now, hear me yes, some things negative come into our lives when we deliberately move away from the plan of God and the plans that He has for us. We're living outside of His will. But in a situation, in a setting like this, guaranteed there was condemnation and it could have nudged her toward isolation. I think we need to be careful when it comes to things like that. Particularly when we're looking at those plans that start to fall apart and things, life doesn't start going according to plan. So when all the dust settles, here we have Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And in verse six, we read, then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. That's important. We're going to come back to that. They took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. So she's she's sending them and she's saying, no, you remain here in Moab. I'm going back to Bethlehem. You stay here. May the Lord bless you, verse 9, with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. There was a real affinity and a love that was there. But Naomi replied, uh, sorry, verse 10. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to another son who would grow up to be your husbands? no my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and if I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you uh, wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. And this is important here to, to note. Things are far more bitter for me. This is Naomi speaking. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. This was her, her, her conviction and her statement upon herself and upon her life. Verse 14, and again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly, and Ruth stayed with her. And I want to jump down, Jennifer, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump down to verse 19. So the two of them continued on the journey when they came to Bethlehem, The entire town was excited by their arrival. And the woman asked, is it really Naomi? And remember, Naomi's name is pleasant, joy. And here she's come back into into Bethlehem, this place of abundance. All of this has happened to her. And she's obviously got the weight of the world on her shoulders. And she's stepping back into this town. And the people who live there, uh, they look at her. They knew her from the past and they say, is this Naomi? Is this, is this joy? And look what Naomi says. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me my joy. Don't call me my delight. She responded, instead call me Mara, for the Almighty has raised, uh, has made life very bitter for me. The, the name Mara means bitter or bitterness. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Let me just stop and just think about that for a moment. Beginning of a new year, a new season. You're walking back into Jerusalem, this place of abundance, this place of plenty. What's your name? periodically throughout the year we have name tag Sunday and uh, it's not so you can remember your name specifically it's so you have a good excuse to go up to somebody and say hello my name is it's just good for the body of Christ it's good for the community here encourage you to do that but I was looking at this Sunday I thought you know what how appropriate that we'd have name tag Sunday when we're talking about names what is your name what is your destiny what is the name that God has placed on you and what is your response and you know there are two responses that we could have and I believe that both of them are ineffective and and not according to what God would have for us Naomi exhibited one of them there's another one I want to shed light on this morning You see, she was in a foreign land in a place away from the abundance of God. And and it says in verse 7 that they started on the road back to Judah. They started on the road back to abundance. They started on the road back to God. And I think we can sometimes when it comes to our name and that journey have one of two actions or responses. The first one is what Naomi did. She started on that road back to God, but she refused to wear the name tag that God had given her. You see, she made the move. She made the, the, the journey. She, she, she progressed closer to God. She even craved that closeness. And yet when people asked her, what's your name? She says, my name's not Naomi. My name's not... Joy and delight, my name's bitterness. And how many of us have made that journey back to God, but we won't wear the name that He's given us? You're here this morning, you're craving more of Him, you're entering into worship, and yet you're refusing to believe who He says you are. You're refusing to wear the name that He's given you and instead you're wearing the name that you are believing from your experiences or from your lot in life or maybe from your your generational upbringing. However bad or good that might have been. And I believe that that is one way that we approach God that is ineffective. The second one Is similar, but it's different. I believe many of us slap the name tag on, but we're not willing to make the journey. Let me explain. Many of us try to write down joy, write down delight, write down peace, write down content, write down, and we try to grunt it out on our own, all the while not wanting to take a step toward God. We're trying to do it on our own. We're trying to conjure up our identity. I'm I'm victorious. I'm a champion. I'm a child of God. I'm beautiful. I'm loved. I'm accepted. All the while ignoring the journey that God wants to take us on closer and closer and closer to Him. You see how both are equally ineffective. It can't be an either or. It has to be a both end. We have to be willing to take the journey like Naomi was taking, but we also have to be willing to accept the name that he's put on us. So, what does this mean? What does this mean? It has a number of ramifications for us in life, in community. I think first and foremost, it comes in how we live out our lives and do we truly believe who God says we are? Do we truly believe it? Do we truly believe that He set us free? Do we truly believe that He has come to give us peace? Do we truly believe that He has done a work in us? Isaiah 61, He gave us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. This exchange has taken place. And yet, how often do we come into a place like this to worship and we're still living in that place of mourning, in that place of bitterness, and that place of anger and animosity and fear and worry? Instead of living it out the way He's ordained in our lives. In the other way, we have made that move. We've come to that place, and yet for one reason or another, we're not willing to follow through. We're not willing to take that next step. Pastor Luke last week talked about, what are, what are you willing to do? I believe for many of you, God's called you to a specific place of ministry, and yet you're sitting there saying, no, but I, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. Or I, I, I don't feel qualified or I'm fearful. How many of us have, has God called us to give extravagantly whether it's time or talents or our, our resources financially and yet we're not willing to because there's, we're, we're riddled in fear. What if? What if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't... We're holding on to anger we're holding on to this, holding on to that. And it's, it's this barrier that's holding us back from all that God has for us. So what's the, what's the solution? The solution, number one, is to begin the journey back home toward God. To begin that journey from that foreign land to that place of abundance that God has for you and his promised for you. Not living out of torment, but living in truth. Not living out of the past, but living in the promise. And number two is believing wholeheartedly the name that God has given you. The new name. The name with meaning. The name with life. The name of destiny. Many of you know the verse in Jeremiah. We'll get to that in just a second. But Isaiah 62. I love how Isaiah puts it. He puts, the nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. How many of you could say that? Your life is being lived out that the glory of the Lord is blinding those people around you. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. You see, this isn't something you conjure up yourself. It's the the destiny and the name that God has put on you. The Lord will hold you in His hand for all to see. A splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called a forsaken city or a desolate land. No longer will you be called bitter or angry, or jealous, or fearful. No longer will that be your name. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God, for the Lord delights in you and He will claim you as His bride. Do you know the Lord delights in you? Do you know the Lord delights in you even when you don't delight in yourself? The Lord is big on you even when you're not big on yourself. Why? Because He created you. He formed you. He made you. He breathed life into your very body. And if you need a reminder, you're created in His image. You're important to Him. You're special to Him. And He's got a new name for you that He wants you to live out. Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days, many of us stop there, but verse 12 says, in those days when you pray, I'm going to listen. You look for me wholeheartedly, you're going to find me. When you seek me out, when you look to me, when you make that journey to me, you're going to find me. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes right now.